Our second lesson here is uh, from that classic reading, the first Pentecost Sunday, so to speak. It's printed for you in your liturgy. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them, and all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one of them speaking, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Now, I just want to stop. That's important, okay? So let that sink in for a minute. (laughs) The crowd hears them speaking, and they were immediately bewildered. And why were they bewildered? Because each one of them heard them speaking in the native language of each. We'll come back to that later. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these people who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, they are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the word of the Lord. God's people said, thanks be to God. Let us pray. Open our ears, O Lord. We would hear the gospel. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher. In Christ's name, amen. You know, in so many words, in the lead up to communion, um, We talked about Jesus' ascension 
as being one piece, one piece of God's ongoing work to bring healing and redemption to all people and our world. With the ascension of Jesus, a portal has been opened. Okay, my apologies to everybody who watches Stranger Things, because I suspect that for Stranger Things fans, the word portal might just be a trigger word. Uh, if, you, if you don't watch Stranger Things, don't worry about it, okay? Um, but just imagine, okay, for those who, who watch Stranger Things, just imagine that this portal that is now open because of the ascension of Jesus, this portal that connects this world into the world to come, imagine that portal to be the most wonderful news that you could possibly hear. The promise that this world will be joined to the world to come, that God is in fact already at home with his people and he'll become fully at home with his people when the portal leads to the joining of the world to come and this world. That's what begins, if you will. That's the extension or the, the continuation of redemptive history that happens at the ascension. And again, for the Stranger Things fans, imagine that everything good that flows out of the, everything that flows out of the portal is actually good for human beings, okay? You have to reverse everything. You have to think of portal as a good thing. You have to think of everything going back and forth, all good too, okay? So that portal opens, if you will, at ascension. And on Pentecost, we celebrate the presence of the risen Lord Jesus Christ rushing back into this world as the Holy Spirit. You know, when Paul talks about the Holy Spirit, and you know, Paul writes so much of the New Testament, and Paul is the theologian amongst the apostles, and, and he writes in a way that, that other followers of Jesus don't write. He systematizes things, and he, he develops understanding between theological ideas, if you will. You know, it's the first systematic theologian, okay? Um, when Paul writes about the Holy Spirit, at first he's surprised because he's becoming aware that his confession of God being one has been problematized. You know, you get the beginning of the development of the doctrine of Trinity with Paul. He's kind of surprised that there's the Holy Spirit that is also God. And then in his writings, he begins to use a shorthand for the Holy Spirit. And he'll say things like, the Spirit of Christ. And when, when Paul does that, he's in a sense referring back to what happens here that day. The risen Lord Jesus Christ ascended as a human being mysteriously comes rushing back into the world through that same portal that he went through to fill all things. The Spirit of Christ now with us because of the miracle at Pentecost. The risen and exalted King of creation who's Lord of all people and all kinds of people has come to be present in the world again but in a way that saturates, multiplies, and diffuses God's loving presence throughout the whole world. The incarnation, right, the 
first coming of God to be in God's world, at home in God's world. It's Jesus. The incarnation is amazing. The incarnation is also hyper-local, right? (laughs) One human being. Pentecost is amazing. Starts out local, but amazing in a different way. Starts out local, but moves out to universal in a hurry. On Pentecost, we begin to see what Jesus meant when he said to his disciples in his farewell discourse that it was to their advantage that he was going away and then promised them that they would do even greater works because of the helper that he was sending, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. He said, greater works are you going to do because I'm sending the Spirit. Greater in what sense? More and more and more and more. It is in a sense that the Spirit enables the incarnation to just keep going, but the flesh and blood that the incarnation lives in, you and me, and more importantly, the body of Christ together. That's what's happening on Pentecost. Amazing. I mentioned earlier uh, in the service that the great mystery of Pentecost is um, represented in this piece of liturgical art behind me. Uh, Many of you will recall that this piece was made as a group art project for the season of Pentecost. And I looked at my notes, and I am thinking that these notes are based on a conversation that I had with two people, or maybe three, Johanna, uh, Winter Harper, Jess Hogue, and Caleb Scott, as we talked about what the plan was for this project. And I found these notes, and I just thought it was interesting. I'm sorry, the speaker can't see it maybe as clearly as you could if the speaker wasn't there, but, but here's what they told me about the ideas that went into this artwork. First of all, with a nod to the rich symbolism of the church in years past, think stained glass and gold leaf, we created an artwork about light, both the light that is found in Christ, but importantly also the light that is found in the church in between his followers. The light can be seen precisely because of the work of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. And there you see, like if you can see the middle of this, the center of it, see everything moving out. So remember I said Pentecost is, um, is also hyper-local, like the incarnation, but only for a minute, only for a minute. Then everything, as you can see in this piece of art, everything moves out from there. I want to pause for a moment and let all of this sink in a little bit. Ascension Sunday, important because Jesus in his ascension to the right hand of the Father signals that he is king of creation and all people. Jesus is the exalted king of humanity, shows no partiality in his rule. His redemptive love and authority are for the good of all human beings, every single human being. 
That's an important thing for us to absorb in our glance back at ascension, particularly because human beings of every generation and time and place, including our own, we want to see certain kinds of people as unclean or as a threat because of their otherness. So the universality, if you will, of the ascension reminds us that Jesus is here for every single human being, for our entire world, and that universal Lord comes rushing back through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit to do the work of redemption for all of creation. The Spirit comes, flaming tongues and the sound of a rushing wind, and suddenly the disciples' language becomes the birth languages of all of the people present. That's what's amazing about that. And some translations render it a little bit closer to the original language. What They're so perplexed because they're hearing the disciples speak to them in the language of their birth. They go, how can that possibly be? Uh, Aaron Keeker, our friend, our fellow Grace member, our New Testament scholar, <laughs> Aaron Keeker has a really nice article on Pentecost. And... Um, he points out that for the communication of what the, the disciples wanted to communicate to the crowd, for, that, for, for, for the purposes of communication, they would not have needed to have that miracle happen because pretty much everybody in that day spoke either Aramaic or Greek, uh, and many of them spoke both. This is what it would be analogous to. This would be like somebody talking about God's love to a group of Africans who all speak Swahili, but deciding not to speak Swahili, and instead speaking to everyone in the language of their birth, communicating to them in that miracle, that their particularity, their culture, is important to God. You think about how language has been used and abused in the history of the human race to maintain power and control over other people. And here at Pentecost, we see language used in a way that is fully and totally consistent with God's self-giving love. That's the miracle. You know, a lot of times I think we think about Pentecost and, and you know, the mystery associated with it and whatnot, and it, it's an ooh-and-ah moment, right? It's like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> okay, sure, it is, but it's amazing for a reason, and what's really amazing about it is what it communicates to us about the heart of God and his care for the individual particularity of all people and all cultures. So, at that moment, there are the disciples, and the people, and then as our former associate pastor Caleb used to talk about it, there is the third thing that's going on. Caleb um, coined, I think, 
that phrase, the third thing to talk about the mystery of God's presence with God's people. And then, you know, when Davin was our, our director of music, um, there was an album, and that was also called The Third Thing. And it's a beautiful uh, piece of spoken word on that album about the third thing. And, um, and then that art was all associated with that. It's not by accident that the spirit of the ascended Jesus, after rushing into this world through the portal, makes his first order of business to be a miracle that signals that God is at work to reconcile people. Reconcile people to each other as much as reconciling people to God. Both and, not either or. And indeed, truly, a third thing is going on as this new community arises. And importantly, we need to remember, ponder, and lean into the fact that a third thing is always going on because of Pentecost. Its epicenter is in our worship service and particularly in our participation in the sacrament of communion. But we come to this epicenter, if you will, to then be sent out with this same spirit at work in our lives to bring God's transformative love to others and our communities where we live and work and play. Luke chronicles for us in the rest of the book of Acts a picture of a new community surprising the world with a new way to be human. Remember in the Belhar Confession, a new obedience which can open up new possibilities of life for society and the world? That's what the Holy Spirit does. He enables us to show the world. And you're saying, you're stopping, you're thinking to yourself, that is not me. I, I can't do this. And you know what? You're right. You can't. I can't. The third thing can. Third thing can. I, I dug up some notes about um, this whole time in Grace's life when we had this wonderful worship grant from Calvin. Um, and we did all kinds of things with it, including this art piece. And, and again, I was looking at some, some notes from Caleb uh, that he had written about the third thing. And um, it was refreshing for me to take a look back at that for many reasons. But, you know, one of the things that he said about a worship service, which I'm coming back to what I said a second ago about you and I not being able to do this on our own. So I'll get there, I promise. But... You know, one of the things he said about a worship service is, you know, on any given Sunday, you know, Bob's inviting you to receive communion, and you're thinking to yourself, uh, I'm not worthy, and I don't know if I believe that, you know, this is actually what it's supposed to be and all that. And he says, I'm preaching maybe, and, and maybe I'm not preaching as well as I could. And, and, and Davin's calling us to sing, and maybe we don't want to sing. <laughs> Now, this is my memory of how he, he wrote this in a much more eloquent way. Um, but he said, in the middle of all that, the third thing comes. It makes everything good that God promised real for us in a worship service. So can you 
Can you see yourself as the continuation of the incarnation, um, taking what you receive in this worship service and bringing God's transformative love into the communities where you work and play, your neighborhoods? Yes, you can. You can't do it perfectly. No one can. But you can do it authentically as you lean in and believe that the Holy Spirit is working alongside you, is enabling you. And you call on the Holy Spirit to do just that. It's a dance, okay? It's all enabled. When Laura Wynn preached recently, you know, she, she said the love commandment that Jesus gives, it's a little bit daunting, okay? But when we remember that it's all enabled by God, we can live into the dance, right? None of it happens automatically, but it happens when we respond in faith to the promises of God. Well, anyway, Luke chronicles for us, as I mentioned before, um, the transformative way that this community of believers empowered by the Holy Spirit uh, shows the world a new way to be human. Sworn enemies, Jews and Gentiles, learn to love one another and care for each other's needs. Surprise continues as those previously who were held at the margins, sometimes regarded as unholy or unclean, they're welcomed into the new community with open arms. And perhaps the biggest surprise of all is that this new community is one where its members are learning to not use power to manipulate or control others, but to build each other up in love. This is what the Holy Spirit accomplishes when the Holy Spirit comes. And we are called to live faithfully, not perfectly, but faithfully and fully into those promises and to spur each other on in the doing of that. So thanks for being here this morning, spurring me on as I remind you of the gospel and you remind me. And everyone on Zoom, same to you. Peace be with you on this Pentecost Sunday. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.